Hello and welcome to the Squeaky Bum Time Podcast. It is Sunday, September 24th, 4th, 4th. In this episode, we will cover the whole Premier League. We will cover Everton getting things done. We will cover Man United being terrible at Burnley. But today and for the whole day, there's only one place to go, and it is the North London Derby. But first, why have I been away for a couple weeks? Uh, Just wasn't able to get onto the show. I started a new job. I started new work. I just started doing lots of things that sort of took me away from um, getting onto the show, and I just wasn't able to be where I needed to be. And but I'm back for my Sunday recap. Going to go through all the games. Going to go through that, and then I promise to be here all the time. Want to thank Chris and the Top FC Radio crew. It's growing. He is doing so much. So please like and subscribe to the show. It means everything. Uh, If you're on the podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to the show. It means everything. Uh, we need you. We love you. Uh, and i um, happy to be back and try and get more things back out into the world that are just my show, just for me, because I think I feel best when I'm doing my own show. Sorry, I was touching stuff there. Uh, Chris has been fantastic, but you got to mix it up. Okay. Where to start, where to go. And we do start with the... North London Derby, Arsenal 2, Spurs 2. This was a good, good game. I really enjoyed it. It had all the fight that you'd want to see from a North London Derby. Guys flying all over the place. Uh, Balls, not really a great football game in terms of quality, but everything else about it was there. It was loud. It was passionate. It was what you want in a North London Derby to be. And, you know, your stars performing, uh, Sonny with two goals, um, Saka with his own goal, although it was more of a deflection on Romero and a penalty that Saka also scored. Uh, really good. As expected, <clears throat> first 20 minutes, lots of arsenal, lots of fight, Lots of energy expended, lots of just what you'd expect from a North London derby, and I really enjoyed it. Um, really good to see what's happening with Ange Ball. Really good to see Arteta doing his thing. One of the things about this game was uh, Gabriel Jesus starting out in Martinelli's spot because Martinelli's out, and then no Trossard. So Enketia played in nine with um, Gabriel out wide. It seemed to work. It didn't really hurt them, but you did see the problems with Gabriel Jesus, and that is he's not a great finisher. Um, We saw him just miss a fantastic chance in this game that you wouldn't expect him to miss, but he did, and um, that did not go well. That was not great by him. Um, And we did see some trouble there. Uh, I I thought the Ramsdale-Raya conversation was not really a conversation. Uh, they keep talking about it like Ramsdale's going to get his job back, but Raya's just better. And the fact that there's no discussion about the statistics, about why the move was made, 
Ramsdale is just not as good. He's just not a quality keeper in the level of Raya. And I think we're going to figure that out over time. Uh, Arteta is playing coy and saying things like, oh, I'm going to rotate. I'm going to rotate. We're supposed to have competition for every place. I think that's bullshit. I think that he's ultimately made the decision. He's going with Raya for the rest of the season. That's just what's going to happen. That's where things are. Um, and I think you can see it already. Raya's just cooler, calmer, and already making a difference for um, for Arsenal. So that one was interesting, and I didn't think that that was at all controversial <laughs> to say. This game was very even. 13 shots for both, six on target for Arsenal, five for Spurs. Um, Arsenal did go up twice and get pegged back twice. I think where they're really going to feel shitty and feel upset about it is the second goal. Uh, handball by Romero. It's on the line. That they had to go to VAR for this was a surprise to me, or that it took so long. was not called on the pitch, but it was a clear handball. Um, is it harsh? Do we know what handballs are? Do we know how this stuff works anymore? Who the hell knows? But handball, he's on the line. He's blocking a goal. So... Romero gets the handball call. And from there, Arsenal feel they're in good shape. They're usually a strong defensive unit. They usually control things really well. And I, I, they probably felt like we're up to one at home. We're going to see this out. But there was something about Arsenal that didn't have control in this game that you could see with Spurs. They just kept going. They were relentless with how they were going to play. They played out from the back every time. They pressed every time. You knew what they were going to do. They got in your face every time. Spurs never changed how they were going to play. And I don't think that Arsenal really picked up on that. And then Sun just gets right in uh, after the mistake by uh, Jorginho. He gets caught on the ball. Madison plays him in. So Madison assists both Sun uh, Sonny's goals. The first goal uh, on 42 at the end of the first half was really great. He spins Saka around, gets to the byline, cuts it inside for a really sharp diagonal run from Sun. Only Sun scores the goals like that. Really, really good. And then, of course, on the Arsenal side, they they got to feel like the first half was theirs, and they should have really had a couple. Uh, they should have been up 2-0 uh, on, I said, the, the Gabriel Jesus miss. But um, Spurs kept plugging away, kept playing the way that they play, kept on showing that they belong, showing that they are ready for this fight. Arsenal have already been in the fight. They've This is now year two of their fight where they're supposed to kick on. It's sputtering a little bit, so they're not bad. I think Arsenal are still really good. I still think Arsenal can win the league. I still think they have a good team. I still think it's all there, but it's not grooved. They're in year two. They're in the second phase. They're in the, hey, how do we get better on the margins phase? How do we improve? We we went from Partey to Declan Rice. We went from Ramsdale to Raya. We've gone from Granite Shaka. Now we're trying out Havertz. So there's some pieces that aren't right. Um, but for Spurs, they're in the effervescent phase. They're in the this is the beginning. We're seeing the light. We've got pasta cod glue. We've got we've got Basuma playing like crazy. We've got Sar. The midfield for um, for Spurs was very very good. They have so many things to be happy about, and this draw is a positive spin for them. Uh, I know Chris was Chris was arguing with me, um, and we'll probably talk about it on Monday. Just that hey, Spurs should feel like they should have won this. I think they're not ready 
for that. They're not really at that point yet. Uh, they may be later on, but I think for them, this is a first step of going, okay, we've played well. We have have this new style. We have this new coach. Now we're going away to the Emirates, and they're going to start passing hurdles if they are indeed where they want to be. Uh, fearful for them. James Madison makes a huge difference to this team, and if he's out, he came out of the game, got got a hyperextended knee, played on a little bit, but then came off. He and Sonny both came off, and at that point, Spurs were already kind of like, hey, we got this. We're not going to try and – we're going to see this out. They played much more defensive in the back 20 minutes of the game. Um, but even that part of the game where Arsenal were really trying to win the game, and I thought – Spurs showed a lot of steel in the back half of the game, and Arsenal could not break them down in the end. So everyone played their part, and Spurs had to play differently towards the back half of the game. I take away from, as a Spurs fan, I take away from this game, we are here, we can play, we are a force to be reckoned with, we have... One of those center backs in Van de Ven, I think they have a Saliba, a Van Dyke, a Diaz, you know, one of these players that you can hang your team on and say, okay, you're going to play. We're penciling you in. Van de Ven is a fantastic player. You have spirit in, in Pedro Peoro, a kind of fighter. You have speed and youth in Udogi. You have Saar and Basuma who are creating a partnership and you've got Sun and and Madison who are connecting with each other. Kulishevsky and the other side of the ball and Son- Man or Solomon are those wingers. We, we sort of find out which one is the right one in the moment. Um, that's how I think for Spurs. For Arsenal, this is this this is not a bad result, but disappointing. Um, these are games you've got to win. Um, I think that for I don't want to shit on Arsenal. I'm not saying that they're bad or they did something wrong or that they should feel bad about the performance. It was good. It's a North London derby. All those things are true, but they're a year ahead. Uh, they're really Their aspirations are getting out of the group stage in the Champions League, pushing City for the title the whole way, being there at the end. And if this is a game that is indicative of if they can do that, then I don't know that Arsenal are there. Uh, Rice came out of this game wasn't clear why uh, Jorginho came on. Um, it was a little bit weird, and he did. He was culpable for the goal. He got caught on the ball for the tie, game tying goal. So that's a problem for Arsenal. But um, things are just not quite right, and Ketia not quite right. It didn't feel as fluid um, after Rice came off. They lost control. I thought Rice was battling in there with Basuma and Saar. And when he came off, Basuma and Saw were able to control more of the game. And I, that's probably why Spurs did have control, even though they were defending in the back half of the game. It seemed like anytime there was pressure, if the ball got to Basuma, he could get to out of the first round of press and get, get 15 yards, 20 yards up the pitch and sort of relieve the pressure. So he was immense. Uh, just a really good and enjoyable game. I've thought fantastic stuff. I really just liked the game. I liked the feeling of it. I liked the energy of it. I liked it, that it had a Derby feel. It had 
what you wanted from a, a North London derby. Lots of talking points and penalties and everyone's angry and no one feels good or anything. I think ultimately Spurs should feel better, but they may feel gutted that they didn't win. Ultimately, they may feel like, hey, we 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 stood up. We did what we were supposed to do. How We should win this game now. But uh, Arsenal move on, and that's a really cool result, a really fun way to start the week, uh, a really great game to enjoy, a really good game to feel good about, a really game to, to sink your teeth into. Um, I'm just going to go through uh, other games. There was not a lot of great stuff, uh, to be frank. Um, it was a very weird week. Um, but uh, I think I'll go to Manchester United because they have been a story all week. They do go to Burnley at Turf Moor on Saturday late uh, and get the 1-0 win. It was not a great performance. It was a needed performance. It was a together performance. But a lot of this game, Burnley were trying to play and trying to knock on the door. Uh, they just don't have the quality. As I was watching the game and the crosses were coming in and there were nice little touches around the box. And like I said, keep an eye on this kid, Kolioshu. Really, really good player. Really, really exciting player. But as I watched the game, I just kept thinking, where is Burnley's magic? Who is the player who's going to make something happen? And it just, it wasn't there. And I think that was the difference in the game uh, when the game started, I was in shock to see Johnny Evans paired at center back with uh, <laughs> Lindelof. I was like, wow, that's bad. Especially that whole side with McTominay, Regulon, and Evans. I thought that was going to be a real, real problem for United. And they kind of identified it and just said, you know what? We're going to sit deep. We're not going to try and do anything. Um, and I thought Hannibal playing in number 10 really wasn't the 10. He really was playing deeper and defending. I saw him in the box defending, helping Regulon when he could, helping Evans, helping McTominay. Uh, he got on a ball. He was really good. I enjoyed him. But this was a United team that was just like, we're not losing this game, no matter what happens. And the moment came, they had two moments. One was Johnny Evans on a header. Uh, Hoyland was in his way. It was a VAR chalk off. I hated it. I hate VAR. None of the players protested. Nobody cared. Everyone thought Johnny Evans scored his first goal in eight years for Manchester United. He was supposed to have a moment. The old guy have his goal. He's smiling from ear to ear. No one on either team protested. James Trafford a little bit. Then, of course, VAR has to come in and ruin that moment. Fine. It's still nil-nil. But then Johnny Evans again uh, playing on the ball on a, a, after a corner. His pass to... to to Bruno Fernandez on a great run that he makes between uh, in the half space on the like between the center back and the fullback takes it on the volley, just pure sweet goal, and that's the difference. Burnley don't have a Bruno Fernandez. Burnley don't have a lay a player of the quality that Bruno Fernandez is. This is a top top level player who can conjure a bit of magic, and he does. And that's how United get their goal, and they see it out. Um, I don't think people really realize, and I've said it before a million times, United last season were a defensive team. They were the third best defense. Their problem was they couldn't score, and they're still having this problem. Uh, Ten Hag seems to want to play, but what he has as a unit 
is a strong defensive unit. The best parts of his, sorry, mentality, the best parts of his team are fighting in defense. Uh, and that made sense when he had De Gea because he was such a good shot stopper. And now they've kind of, they're trying to break away from that. They've sort of lost their identity a little bit. Um, I feel like United are at their best on the break. And the more that Ten Hag wants them to play, the less success they're going to have. Or it can be a very Van Gaal way where it's very slow and deliberate buildup. And really they defend with the ball. Maybe that's where they think they can find the right way to go, defending with the ball, playing slow. Uh, but they still don't really have a great identity. Uh, I thought Hoyland was pretty good. Rashford didn't do much. Uh, didn't track back on one play where it was just like he was tracking the player. Then he just lets him go. And Burnley nearly scored a goal uh, on a header. Onana was good. He needed that after the tough week. But Burnley in the first few minutes, the, Burnley will feel like they could have gotten at least a draw out of this game. They were good for a draw. They had two shots, one where they hit the bar and one that was a great save from Onana. But um, they had 62% possession, 647 passes. Burnley played. They were here for this game. Good pass percentage. A lot of good things happen for Burnley, but they don't have a killer. I know Chris likes to talk about that. Where is your killer? It was very reminiscent to me of like a, a Graham Potter um, uh, uh, performance by, by, by Brighton where they had the ball, it looked good, everything was right, and then the second there was a moment, the moments went to United. So they get their win, they get out of it. But I'm hopeful for Burnley. Um, they are in the bottom three, so they are there, it's fine. But I am hopeful because what I saw was actually pretty good. Um, they'll beat someone playing like that. Uh, and Burnley shouldn't feel bad. Uh, they should have beat Nottingham Forest, who are in and around them. They've played Spurs. We know that's a tough, 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 tough game. Now um, they gave up five. <laughs> uh, they played Aston Villa, lost. They've played Manchester City. Like, who are they supposed to be beating in that group of three? Granted, they the one game that they should have maybe won was against Forest, uh, but they drew and they had a, a bogus goal chalked off by Sander Berg. So uh, I think their games that are coming up. They'll look to that Luton game. They'll look to Chelsea. They'll feel like they can beat Chelsea at home. Chelsea's not very good. Uh, they'll look for a fight against Brentford and Bournemouth coming up. So uh, Burnley, I thought, were pretty good. But for United, they take a breath. They have a sigh of relief. Uh, one thing I noticed that Ten Hag says a lot is the players, uh, they, they went to the plan. So it seems like there's a very, very clear plan that Ten Hag wants his players to stick to. And he always mentioned, stick to the plan, stick to the plan, stick to the plan. So I wonder if one of the things that's happening is they're not taking on what he's asking for, or he's very much in the Van Gaal uh, method. Uh, if I remember Wayne Rooney talking about Van Gaal, that he had these prescribed ways and rules about if the ball goes here, then the ball goes there. If the ball goes there, then you move here. Like it was all very ordered and very deliberate. And if you remember the stodged kind of Van Gaal era, it was very slow, possession-based. They had the ball, but it was slow and kind of reminds me of Ten Hag style. So maybe it's something with Dutch. Maybe it's something uh, Ten Hag is more of a Van Gaal uh, acolyte versus a Cruyff acolyte versus a Guardiola acolyte. 
You know, it feels like if you make the tree of coaches, I feel like the Zerbi and Pepper together with Ange, and then there's sort of these possession guys that are like, you know, you have Unai Emery and 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 Ten Hag on the other side, where it's possession but very stayed and controlled and whatever. So interesting stuff there that I think kind of jibes together, and I wonder if those things uh, all go together. So interesting stuff there. I did like the game. Uh, it was, you know, United can feel good. They move on. They have to have a better performance, but otherwise they feel okay. On to other crisis clubs, crisis, crisis, crisis. Uh, I will get to the other big boys, but Chelsea, uh, they lose one nil to Aston Villa after a red card from Malagusto that probably was in the orange range. Call the yellow on the field, VAR review, it's nasty. Uh, he really catches the players ankle and so a game where Chelsea probably would have felt okay if it had been you know a a you know a nil nil or whatever you know it's it becomes a one nil where they lose Chelsea in this calendar year have failed to score for 13 times more times than any year since 1995 so really nasty. They've just won one of their last first six opening games to start a season for the first time since 2001. And they have suffered three defeats for the first time since 2016. So not a lot of good things happening for the great and powerful Chelsea. Things just aren't going their way. Um, the problems scoring are still there. I love Nico Jackson. I saw him in the summer series. It's clear it's not working. Um, like I said earlier, they've been creating stuff, but in this one, they didn't create enough again. Uh, it's not really going that well for Chelsea at all. And I wonder if it's ever going to get together. Uh, there's already talk about, there's already talk about Pochettino's time with the club. Is he going to make it? Uh, I think if they change managers, they're crazy. I think if this thing even works, they're crazy. Um, it's just going to be a time of suffering for this club. There's just no other way to put it. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout to Unai Emery. You know, he's had a bit up and down early in the season, but Aston Villa is mostly up. So they are hanging in there. They had a tough uh, fixture in Europe, but Aston Villa get themselves off the mat, make sure that, they don't lose two in a row. They lost to 3-2 to the Legia Warsaw, um, but they do get back in the league. They beat Palace the week before. Uh, they can they can rub the stink off of the Liverpool game that didn't feel good, um, but um, they are in decent shape with Unai Emery. Uh, Ali Watkins, a great striker, a kind of striker that any team would want, any team would need. Uh, he scores the goal. And they move on with their 1-0 win to the Emery. Um, I do have a thought about Chelsea that I think is an important thought. And it is this. Chelsea are not a club anymore. 
after the Abramovich thing, I think one of the things that's happening is we're taking our narratives about what we know about Chelsea and applying them over time. We're sort of grabbing the Abramovich era and sort of saying, oh, everything's here. I think the real way to think about Chelsea is that when Abramovich left, when the structure, when when Clear Lake takes over, all the structure of Chelsea is removed. No Marina Granitskaya, no Peter Cech, no Buck, nothing. The academy, everything is an exodus. This is a team that has to be rebuilt in every phase. Everything has to be rebuilt. So there is no culture. So from the outside, we see the crest and we see Stanford Bridge and we see that players and there's been continuity in the fact that they're still in the Premier League, they're still moving on, but everything is gone. There is no there there. And so that's why we're so disjointed about what this team is because they had a focal point. It was Abramovich's Chelsea. It was culture put in by, by Mourinho. It was Marina Granescara making deals and, and understanding all those relationships with Asians and making sure that the club was run well. It was Czech on the, on, on it bringing continuity and, and on the technical side. There was a club there that was there and Tuchel won the Champions League with that club. And then it all rolls back uh, you have the Abramovich thing. He's in exile. They take his team away. You have this forced sale process go on. And from there, Tuchel's like, I don't want to do this. And he says that to Boley. And Boley's trying to buy Ronaldo. And he's like, I'm out of here. This is madness. You guys don't know what you're doing. I didn't sign up to become uh, uh, a startup CEO of some team. I'm not going to just be here to do this. This is not what I wanted to do. I signed up under these conditions, and now we're in these conditions. So then they go with Potter, who they believe can be a builder. Uh, it doesn't work out. They don't know what that first step is. They don't quite understand those moments of, you're going into Chelsea Football Club. Grand Potter has never done this before. Here are all these players. Let me make this as hard as it can possibly be. Versus, let's have something with stability, like let's have the side have stability. But instead, they start buying players like their portfolio assets and stocks. And the whole thing has been snowballing from there. They potter away and then Lampard to take the bullets away from the attack on, on, on Clear Lake. They basically did that on purpose so that they could deflect from their own mistakes. They do put some structure in, but we're not sure who's in charge of what yet. But they're going from zero. And so what's happening with Chelsea is they literally bought an academy, but it's playing. And now they have Pochettino to try and build the club. It's going to take a lot of time. And I don't know if any of those players are Premier League ready players as individuals, as a unit, or as a group, right? It's one thing to be a young up and coming player who gets added to the defense or of, of a stable group. It's one thing to get added to the midfield of a big team that's stable and has partners who've been there together. It's another thing to become the striker where you replace a previous striker or a winger where they can bed you in and come in. It's completely another when you have to build an entire units of team, fully new defense, Levi Caldwell coming in, Chilwell coming in again, all these players, Chilwell's actually been there, but Gusto coming in, a whole new midfield, Caicedo, Fernandez, Gallagher, 
not all never have played together. They're all new. None of them proven at the Premier League level. Caicedo with a veteran group at at Brighton. Gallagher had a run out with Chelsea. Enzo Fernandez, we don't know. The whole front three, not connected at all. Only Sterling is just trying to do stuff. And Pochettino's got to cut and paste and figure out what the right group is. It's going to take a while. But Chelsea, not looking good in very, very, very poor shape. Uh, I'm going to check in on our friends at Liverpool. I know that's what everyone wants me to do. Uh, They did have a little bit of a hard, a little bit of a scare in this game. Uh, not too badly. Uh, it was 1-1 uh, ending the first half. Salah, of course, draws the penalty. Aguirre just kicks him. Um, so uh, Salah takes his penalty, of course. He always does. And then Bowen on the break makes Van Dyke look terrible. Really nice goal by West Ham. A classic West Ham. Into Bowen, onto Antonio, out wide to Sufal, into Bowen, who stoops in front of Van Dyke. The thing I think about with that goal is that's a goal that Van Dyke never gives up ever. It's just not, it's <laughs> just not one he gives up anymore. But now he does because he's not superhuman. He's just regular old Virgil Van Dyke. But you know they can feel good about this game. They had the ball. Uh, Matip and Van Dyke is a more normal group. They do have Gomez out because Trent Alexander is still out. But that's that some stability in midfield with McAllister and Slobozai getting their time together. Nunez missed one and, of course, had an amazing flicked goal over the top to Nunez. He tricks it over. So that's how they get the second goal. And the third, did they win two? Where did the third one? Who scored the third goal? Oh, Jota, late. Oh, of course. Jogo Jota always scores goals. Uh, he's just such a good little player. He made some funky, funky, uh, funky sign for his goal, but really good stuff. The midfield's starting to hum. They're starting to connect together. Uh, McAllister did come off, so I'm not sure. Was it Kubo that came in to replace him? I'm not sure. Yeah, it was. En- Sorry, not Kubo. Kubo's the other guy that I like. It was Endo that got a run out and grabbing back again. So they're starting to work the teams in. Pop was Klopp was really pleased with this game. He gave the old triple pump to the to the cop end. So things in Liverpool starting to hum. I think they would probably feel better if they had more control um, and the dreaded. David Moy's curse continues. The man is unable to win, <laughs> uh, unable to win at any <laughs> big ground. Um, so, you know, it's looking, looking good, looking good. Are you ready for the line? Against Liverpool alone, Moyes is now winless in 19 away games in the competition, losing his last eight in succession. In 72 Premier League visits as a manager to face Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United combined, West Ham, West Ham's David Moyes has won none. Drawn 21, lost 51. That doesn't even put in Manchester City. So it's really, really, uh, really, really bad. But, you know, you know, Liverpool did show that weakness still in the early part of the game. West Ham had a couple chances, but um, Liverpool in the second half just got things together, really put things together. So, uh, you know, good stuff all around. Liverpool feel good. Uh, they're unbeaten. They look like their challengery self, uh, but I still think they'll, they'll probably continue to work and continue to get better. So that's their thing. Uh, we drive on 
to the great and powerful Manchester City, who for 35 minutes looked better than any team in world football entirely. Uh, just playing, toying with their food as they play Nottingham Forest. The first goal came on a 46-pass move, and then uh, a ball over the top from Rodri, who was playing as probably the best player in the Premier League. If you don't notice this, he's starting to play the over-the-top ball that um, that Kevin De Bruyne would play, but he's doing it from a central position. So instead of that ball from the half space, he's doing it over the top and the pass back from uh, from Kyle Walker onto Phil Foden, who finished just an amazing, amazing goal. And then the second goal right after that, uh, Erling Holland somehow is unmarked. <laughs> but it was another amazing move. So City were cruising. This game looked easy. I was gonna. I was sort of tweeted that. To all our forest friends, hey, you guys are in trouble. You're going to get your teeth kicked in. This is not going well for you. This is a really, really scary performance. But cometh the man, cometh the moment, early in the second half, um, early in the second half, Rodri gets tangled with our friend Morgan Gibbs-White in the corner flag. They have a toshle. There's a shove. There's a push. Then Rodri inexplicably puts his arms, his hands around Morgan Gibbs' white neck. There's a one-minute delay, and Gibbs' white falls to the ground. Then the red comes out. And I have to give a lot of credit to uh, Forrest. After the red and City were down a man, they played really well. And City had to defend for their lives and stopped attacking entirely. Um, Kevin Phillips, Calvin Phillips had a sighting. Uh, none of his teammates passed to him which was a surprise, but I think City will feel good that there was a really strong defensive performance. And I think, you know, ultimately, you know, Forrest were were good. I mean, uh, Adoy came on, Elanga came on. They went for it. So kudos to them. It was a tough game. Uh, City did not control this game as they would uh, many other games. But now um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really good performance and a good win for City. But it comes with a loss. Rodri will be out three games for a straight red. That means he will miss the Arsenal game. Hopefully by then, which is at the end of the three games, hopefully by then uh, uh, Bernardo Silva will be back. So it won't be. I was really worried because City without Rodri is just like, what are we going to do? Who plays that impossible position to play of the deep lying six uh, for City? They'll have to do something else. Uh, that 46 pass move was the second longest leading to a goal since they've been recording it in 2007 behind, I'm sure all the uh, Spurs fans remember, Nacer Chadley's goal against QPR in August of 2014. That was a 48 pass goal. I almost want to go look that one up. Um, but City are unbeaten. Uh, everything is very, very looking like a City winning the league. And I don't feel good about that. I prefer that there be a battle. And I hope that other teams can get to City's level. And I hope City, I don't hope City lose, but I, I want to race. I don't want to be a romp. I don't want it to be easy. It's no fun that way. Uh, I will want to give a shout out to Mateus Nunez, who's been playing for City, Gums from Wolves, and Boom Bang Bing. He's great. Uh, he set up the ball for um, for Holland's goal. Holland had a nice game, nice header. Didn't miss anything this time, so he was good about that. But, you know, a good game all around, and City move on. They're on maximum points. Six played, six won, 
leading the goal, leading the league in goals. Just actually, they're not leading the league in goals. That's for my other friends, <laughs> Mister Deserby and Brighton. But um, really, really good stuff from Manchester City. Uh, I enjoy that a lot. Let's sort of get some scores and check in on other games um, that went on. Uh, Brighton won three one. They went down a goal. Uh, then on cometh the man, cometh the hour. Can you imagine Brighton off the bench comes Matoma and Ansufati? <laughs> They're just like, yeah, no, you guys aren't winning this. Uh, but I did, I did think that Bournemouth were good. Um, they did present challenges to Brighton. Brighton did give up a goal trying to play out from the back. That was a problem. Uh, so a little bit of a tricky one there, but my boys from Brighton do pull it, pull this one out. Uh, Fati and um, and Matoma hook up, playing on the same side, pull the goals back in the second half after getting a goal from uh, an OG to end the half. Uh, Solanke scored for Bournemouth on a mistake, uh, but he did put it away. Nice game for Bournemouth. I like Gary O'Neill. We know this about him. So I I rate Bournemouth to stay in the league, but um, Brighton do move on and do stay in the top three. So we have to start covering them as a top three club. They are leading the league in goals, uh, just to keep that in mind. Uh, from other games, the less I talk about this nil-nil between Crystal Palace and Fulham, the better. Uh, Fulham do not have Mitrovic. They're not going to score goals. Uh, Jimenez for Mexico cannot play. Um, Luton Town get their first point, so they have a draw with Wolves. They'll feel hard done. They battered Wolves uh, really well. They took 20 shots, four on target. Wolves only had three shots, all three on target. Pedro Neto, again, keeping this team alive. There was a sending off. Bella Guard kicked out after a tangled legs. Uh, it was. It felt a little bit unfair, but Luton at home, always fun to watch, always fun to hear that crowd. So Luton get their point. They're on the board and our other friends in the relegation zone, the great and powerful Everton under Sean Dyche, go to the Amex. I mean, to the G tech and defeat the powerful Brentford three, one, the Corey with the first, then it goes level on Jensen, a really nice goal. He scores Tarkovsky with a Heather and then the coup de gras on 71 cometh the man cometh the hour. Dominic Calvert Lewin gets a goal. It was great to see his man bun flopping. He gets his goal. Uh, Beto still a work in progress. You know I love me some Beto. I'm a fan of his. Uh, I watched some of this game. Garner, I thought, young Garner for Everton, put, played some good crosses. Uh, Adrisa Ganagay, the quicker he leaves the team, the better. He lost the ball so many times at the edge of his box. I could have punched him in the face for Everton fans. Uh, I like where they are. They do still have... Uh, James Harrison to come in, and I think Brentford's goals have sort of dried up when Buemo was scoring early, but now he's a little bit long in the tooth. I'm not worried about Brentford. They haven't, uh, they you know, they lost the week before and they lost two in a row. They just have games like this in them. Uh, good for Everton. They are all of the bottom three and free. Okay, today's game. There was a mad, mad, mad game. The great and powerful. Newcastle United reassert their credentials, beating Sheffield United 8-0 with eight different goal scorers. You ready? I'm going to read them off. Longstaff on 21, Dan Byrne on 31, Sven Botman on 35, both headers. 
Callum Wilson on 56, Anthony Gordon on 61, Almiron on 68, where he ran through the whole team, um, Grimores on 73, and Alexander Isaac off the bench on 87. That is eight goals from eight different players. An amazing, amazing performance. And I think it will get uh, Higginbotham, Danny, what is his name? I think it's his name. I got the coach name wrong. Uh, for, um, For Sheffield fired. Frankly, he's going to get fired in this result. Uh, They do have Chris Wilder in the wings, but it does make things much, much more interesting for the Premier League. Let us go through the table. Your top four, City on 18, two points behind them, Liverpool, and then Brighton on 15 with the great and powerful Spurs and Arsenal level on points. Uh, Only goal difference separates them. Tottenham on plus eight and Arsenal on plus five, followed by Villa and West Ham. West Ham losing their last two, slipping out of that great group. And then in eighth place, the great and powerful Newcastle United on a plus nine. United on a minus three are in ninth, three wins, three losses, followed by Crystal Palace with Deuces Wild, two wins, two draws, two losses. They sit in 10th, followed by Fulham, mid-table, living a dream, Forest. In 12th, Brentford 13th after their two losses in a row. Chelsea in 14th with just the one win, three losses, minus one goal difference. Everton off the schneid in 15th. uh, Get a much-needed win. Wolves 16th, Bournemouth in 17th. And our relegation zone sits our promoted clubs, Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield, all on one point. Only goal difference separates them. Luton on minus eight, Burnley on minus nine with Sheffield United giving up an eight spot on minus 12. And that, friends, is the end of this week of the Squeaky Bum Time podcast. We record this show on Sundays. I am part of the Top FC radio network. Please like, share, and subscribe to the show. And I will speak to you guys later.